What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 19th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood. And I'm working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my friend, Philip Stutz. He is an incredible guy. Just go Google his name. He is highly impactful in the political marketing world, a best-selling author, sought by many for his knowledge and wisdom. And today, we talk about one of his most important roles, fatherhood. Enjoy meeting my friend, Philip. All right, Philip, welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes. Really stoked to be sitting here talking fatherhood with you, man. Man, I'm honored to be here. Thank you, Ned. Congrats on your book, man. Oh, yeah. Thanks for supporting it, helping bring it to life. It's been really fun. Uh, and it's just rad to see a dad reading uh, a kid's book I designed, you know, with his kids. It's pretty fun. Yeah. I'm excited for the daughter book next, right? Yeah. So that is, uh, that is a work in progress. Uh, it's probably 90% done, but then I just had this r- massive idea. And so I actually have the artist changing, mm-hmm. changing one of the images. And so I'll just plant the seed right now. So it was super rad for the book launch. I did um, like an award ceremony for dudes who have been on the podcast no. and dudes didn't know I was going to do it. And so at this, you know, we had like a a barrel room, like a bourbon barrel room at this uh, brewery. And so I just for like 30 minutes invited dudes up and gave them awards just for something I learned about them on the podcast. So for the daddy daughter dance or for the daddy daughter, they already said it for the daddy daughter book. I want to do a dance, like a daddy daughter dance for the kickoff of the book. Nice. Um, so I just, am starting to think through what that would look like and where and how and all that. Did my first one. What's that? I just had my first daddy-daughter dance in real life. How was it? It was really fun. It was awesome. Dude, were the girls having a blast? Yeah. You know, um, my my uh, Parker is my daughter, and she is 10, so there's no inhibitions on love for yes, death. Yes, so and wonderful. So, yet. You know, like it was starting to get a little sarcasm in the conversation. Like, <laughs> but, but, yeah, it, it t- she... She saw a friend, she played with her friend for like the first 15 minutes, and then it was just game on. In fact, she pulled me up on stage, and so we had to dance on stage in front of everybody, and she didn't care. And I was like, oh, she didn't care, I don't care, let's go. Yes. So Bro, in, that's so good. I love it. Enjoy it. So my 14-year-old who's a freshman now, so I have you know five kids, 10 to 17, but it's so funny I have to share it. So my wife and I and our 14-year-old who is a freshman – uh, are sitting at the dinner table like three nights ago. And she's like, you guys are weird or something like that. And uh, we made the comment like, we haven't changed, you have. <laughs> and it was this aha moment for her. We're like, Violet, we haven't changed. You're the one who's changed. You just see us differently now. So it was hilarious and also sad because it was all about her introducing us to her friends at the track meet. She's yeah. like, not doesn't want to do it. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, dude, there's a lot I want to talk about with you. So 
as I was thinking about us connecting and just knowing your massive presence and, and impact, I wanted to read this. I don't normally do this, um, but I wanted to say this to you. So I've spent some time around you at Front Row Dads events. Big shout out to Front Row Dads. What I have seen is you are you are a very powerful man, whether you realize it or not, not only because of the work you've done in the world, but because of the internal work you continue to do on yourself. I think that a lot of us men desire to work on ourselves, but you have been highly intentional about it. Um, based on the situations that I've seen you in, which has probably been like four or five group meetings, 50 to 60 guys like in a room where we're comfortable, yeah. I find that you don't share a lot, but when you do, people listen to you because you are powerful because of the work that you are doing. And this idea, like it's your, your conversations really never about, Hey, I've arrived and did this. Let me share it with you. It's I'm going through this. I'm living this. I'm continuing to become. So let me share that with you. Oh man. I, it's what I'm struggling with right now is the, 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 the path. Yeah. Mm. Well, Uh, I wanted you to hear that because that's my perspective of you. Like you're in your life, but when it's Ned watching you, that's what I see in those moments. Well, I I appreciate the kind words. I really do. I am. I am working really hard to peel the onion. The the crazy thing is, I feel like the onion is like a hundred and thirty thousand layers, and it's like I'm only into like the. 10,000th layer. And so I got, you know, a long way to go. Um, and I guess I'm vulnerable and open about what it is I'm, I'm going through or what I'm seeing, how I'm working through it. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I, I have uh, no illusions. I figured anything out. I mean, I'll give you an example of what I mean, like just in the last 50 or excuse me, in the last three days, um, you know, I work with therapists and I've, I've done all I've done, you know, we can get into all the different things that I've, I've tried, but um, I really realized that I haven't, I don't even know what my needs are. Mm. Um, and if you ask my wife, she's like, I don't know, you need your freedom. And I'm like, well, no, I never told you that. And she's like, no, I'm just making an assumption. Right. And so at 48 years old, I am honestly like I, I told my therapist today, I, go, I feel like I'm, I've got a uh, not a, like a dark cloud. I just feel like I'm like hazy right now because mm. I just and it's like you can't have a plan for what your needs are. It's not like oh, I'm going to sit down and do a brainstorming session, put it in an Excel spreadsheet. and Then I'm going to solve the problem like we do as business owners or whatever it is like I'm like. Shit, shit, I have to sit in this and mm-hmm. I have to figure out what is it I really, what are my needs in life? Because I've always been one of those, I have no needs, nothing going on here, nothing to look at, I'm fine. Um, and so this is like my big revelation. And it's, uh, th- there's a lot of sadness to that, Ned, because the sadness is, uh, the sadness is for the five year old boy who never, re- who, who was never, allowed to have needs or Mm. to go, Hey, these are the things that make me feel whole or as a person that, that just wasn't 
part of the equation when the way I grew up. And so I've had this, like I've had to process this sadness for, for who I am or, or who I was as a five-year-old when, you know, you kind of come of age and go, Hey, this is who I am. And this is what I want in life. And, you know, and then of course it evolves and changes and all that. I've never even been through that process. So I'm going through that right now. And it's a little discombobulating just because it's um, a revelation, uh, a little bit of sadness. There's also a lot of excitement about, Ooh, this is gosh, I'm going to have needs and they're going to be met by my wife. So that's kind of cool. And it's not like, uh, you know, for a while I thought it was like, I'm a hunter. So just my needs are, let me go hunting. Like, that's not my need. That's not a need. Like that's a want, <laughs> you know? So I'm just working through that right now as, as an example to, to lead into what you just said. Bro, I love it. And it gets me excited about what I want to talk about, what I want to talk about with you. So I'm going to ask you a couple of just like questions just to help people know who you are. And then we're going to get into my questions. Okay. All right. So you, you said it today. You're 48. How many years you've been married? We've been married about 11 and a half years. We've been together 16. Okay. And then you have a daughter. We have a daughter, Parker. And you said she's 10 right now. Yeah. Okay. And then what do you do for a living? Just, just in kind of like a 60 second, what is it that you do to help people understand who I'm talking to? Yeah, I'm a ballet dancer. <laughs> I'm a comedian. Now I know why the sadness. <laughs> uh, I grew up working for political candidates running for office. I turned that into an entrepreneurial journey where I started making ads for politicians. Then we, uh, I expanded that into working with companies, Fortune 200 companies, the Tony Robbins of the world, people like that, and helping market and, and um, understand their brands and all that stuff better. Ultimately, it's led to about five different companies. As of January 1, 2023, um, I'm no longer the CEO of one of those companies. I've moved into my holding company. Now I manage all five of my CEOs. And so uh, running, they're all running different marketing PR ad companies. And so I guess serial entrepreneur and investor, and I've written two books on marketing as well. So basically you're a high level total badass. That's what you're telling me. <sighs> I don't, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in this 48 year old man living in Florida, daughter married, yeah. working heavily on yourself, five businesses, highly influential, uh, teaching, educating, inspiring people. And also dad, right? Dad, man, husband. Yeah. When did you embrace fatherhood? You know, so if you think about this, you were about 37, 38 when you became a dad, you were already very successful, uh, had had a lot of time where you did whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted, however you wanted. Um, that transition, how was that? And, and when did you embrace like fatherhood matters for you? Um, not immediately. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, I give you an example. I, I graduated from the University of Alabama and uh, as people at co followed college football, they're they're a perennial football team that's always on the verge of winning the national championship. My wife gave birth on December 20th, 2012 and or excuse me, December 21st, 2012. And 
two weeks to that day, I went on a guy's trip to Miami to see Alabama play in the national championship football game. And I drank and ate and texted my wife that I was having the time of my life. Uh, she was, she had to have um, uh, a post surgery after birth. I left her. Um, I, we had two dogs. She, I left her. She had a, uh, we had a newborn, right? Two week old baby. I left her. That was my mentality when I became a dad. And I'm not proud of it, but it's the truth, which is, uh, hey, I'm going to live my life, make, you know, earn the money, and you're going to raise the child. Kind of the model I had. So I just figured that was the model I was going to, you know, undertake. Um, that didn't work for very long. And mm -hmm. it didn't work not. F it worked great for me at the moment. It did not <laughs> right. work for everybody else in my family. Yeah. And so uh, I would tell you there was a point, I don't have an exact like moment, but there was a point where it would, came to a head. And um, I had to step up or, you know, step out, right? And so uh, it was probably between the four and the eight-month eight part um, at the four and the eighth month mark, part, uh, mark, you know, Parker was giggling and interacting for the first time. And mm. I think for a lot of guys, the, the dad thing is hard when it's just a baby that poops and cries and sleeps. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that, that your wife or, or the woman who birthed your child, they, they have this chemical connection. They, they literally have a chemical connection. They, they carried that baby. There's a connection there that most men, hey, I admire the men from day one that jump in. I wish I was one of those people. I did not do that. And so uh, there was just a disconnect. And I had all these rules in my head, which were terribly wrong. And um, anyway, it came to this point where, hey, you're going to have to step up here. And, and I did want to step up and my daughter just started interacting with me and all that stuff. And basically by about month eight, month eight, um, I, I kind of said, Hey, this is going to be, I got to be a little bit more of an active father here. What, what's interesting is it's not like I got it right at month eight, <laughs> You know, like there was a, but it was uh, a choice. It was like a conscious choice that you're like, I'm going to join yeah. this adventure. Yeah. With my wife. Right. But, yes. uh, there was a point where she was like three, um, three years old. And my wife looked at me and said, I'd take her to preschool and drop her and pick her up every day. And I'm like, yeah, I'm working. And she's like, no, that doesn't work for me. And I'm like, mm. what? Like my dad never took me to school ever right right maybe right. I honestly mate maybe once because my mom was sick right, <laughs> right. And, and mom like, was on her deathbed or something uh, that's like the only way right and i'm like no and then she's like i'm not doing this all uh, mm. so uh i had to you know start changing there and of course you realize oh my gosh like i'm having a 30 minute conversation with a mm. three-year-old and it's amazing yeah. so just oh that's so good little i started uh, uh, engaging and becoming kind of the father that I needed to be. And frankly, the one I wanted to be just didn't know how. And, and, you know, then it, it just evolved. And um, I did something, sorry if this is a long answer, but Dude. I did, I, I did something 
there was um I went to this Tony Robbins event. There's a guy on stage. His name's David Meerman Scott, and he's this big marketing guru. And um, I ran into him at a, some other event and went up and introduced myself. Well, it turns out he's big political. He loves politics, loves to, you know, so we just had this cool conversation because I'm asking him about marketing and the corporate world. He's asking me about politics and we just hit it off, became friends. And one day he says, hey, I'm coming to Washington, D.C. And I, I just I, we still have a home in D.C., but we live full time in Florida. He's like, why don't you meet me there? We'll have dinner. So I was like, yeah, cool. So I, I flew up to D.C. We went out to dinner and he proceeded to tell me that his 25 year old daughter, that every year from the time she was about three, they would go and do a daddy daughter uh, adventure to go listen to music. That was their sort of connection. Like, they, and it, it, you know, when they got into the teens, it would be boy bands and they go to concerts together. But they always every year chose the concert. and They went together. And I went, that's rad. I love this idea. I, I didn't, I mean, I love music, but I, that's not from, I mean, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And so mm-hmm. I just said, I'm going to do a daddy daughter weekend every year that, you know, she's under our roof. And then maybe she wants to keep doing it even when she goes to college or graduate school. And we started at four years old. Wow. And I went, to, I took her to Chicago for the weekend and we had the honestly like the best time ever. Like we we ordered room service in the room. We went and got one of those American her first American Girl doll. Like on and on. We went to uh, uh, you know uh, we went to shows and we ate fun crazy foods and we went to an aquarium and it was just really 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 fun. And it that probably was the best thing that ever happened to me because I was being an adequate dad. Um, mm, but I, I wasn't like that word. I wasn't loving. It's not that I didn't love my daughter. It's just, uh, you know, I just, it was, but that trip made me love being a father mm. and it ignited something in me that from that point forward, there was just no stopping. And so uh, I just completed this past weekend my seventh daddy daughter weekend. And my daughter who's now 10 said to me, that was the most fun one we've ever done. And we've done some crazy adventures together. So it's awesome. And we have an incredible relationship. And I'm very grateful uh, for that. Philip, I love you the way that you answered the question, because what I asked you was when did you embrace fatherhood and you share the reality that it's not really a moment necessarily, right? Like life isn't really made up of moments. Life is made up of these milestone markers. And you shared at the beginning this like, yeah, I'm a 38 year old dude who's been living a certain way for 20 years and now everything's changed. And I kind of messed it up a little bit at first, had to have some conversations. And then at three had to figure out something else. And then at four had to figure out something else. And then probably have to figure out something else this year and next year. Yeah. And, and I think that's so good for dads to hear is yeah. If, if we were just to talk about the annual trip you did with your daughter, a bunch of dudes would feel like douchebags and be like, damn it. I wish I would have done something like that. Right. But you share like a three or four year ramp up to that. You know, and then the other key that I just need to point out to dudes is 
you took time to invest in yourself to walk up to a guy, have a conversation and, and you learn from one conversation, this one thing. And now, now look at what happened. Your daughter just came back seven days ago from uh, the best weekend of her life, you yeah. know, you know, and then now you're sharing this with dudes are going to listen to this and they're going to start to implement something their own way. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, there's no shame in my game, right? Clearly, um, uh, th there's been shame in the past, but I put all that stuff behind me because it really doesn't serve me. Mm. I make mistakes. And um, I think a lot of guys, if it, at least it feels like a lot of us struggle in those first years. Um, I also know, and you said something that's so important, Ned. Um, we typically parent to our kid from the way they were a year or two ago and not who they right. are now or where yeah. they're going. Mm. right until something happens and you go oh shit it's changed like we gotta we gotta change the way we're parenting this kid because yeah. she's now 10 not seven and why are we still parenting her to seven you know and it's like that's the struggle and everybody goes through that everybody mm -hmm. and and I, we're on top of that and yet we still screw it up all the time. So uh, you, you make a really good valid point. And the way these in the way these trips have evolved, these parent uh, day our trip is like I just chose and I picked and and I scheduled everything. Right. And now my daughter is like, oh, I want to I have an idea for next year's daddy dart trip. I'm like, oh, what is it? Right. Like that's evolving now. Right. She's yeah, got a that's cool. She's got things she wants. She has she knows what she needs, like we started out talking about. So that's really super cool to, to see that too. Mm, so good. All right, a couple more questions. I'm going to skip some of these, but what would you say is the role of the father? Uh, healthy masculinity. Mm. A balance. What's that, What's that balance look like? To healthy femininity. Mm. So masculine and feminine. In balance, I think a child needs to see both. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of uh, you know there's a a movement of toxic masculinity and all that stuff. All right, I got that. Right. I think our daughters and our sons need to see healthy masculinity. Hmm. Uh, on, you know, strong, honest, uh, and safe. Mm. Uh, That's the word right there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because you go strong. Uh, what does that look like? But safe. Like, does your daughter feel safe around you? Absolutely. Like, and and, and yeah, how that's such a good question. These men in the in the future, right? Mm -hmm. uh, are men safe to her, or is her dad the the guy that she that I was when she was born? The guy that wasn't mm -hmm. present. The guy that was like, eh, you know, you 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 need to uh, you need to do what I do. Right. Instead of me going, who is she and how do I look at the world through her eyes? Right. That the way I show up is what she is going to date and what she is going to marry. And that's a fact. And so um, obviously inherent in all of this is is unconditional love and, and authenticity. But for that, all of those things, you're right. Safety is probably one of the largest factors that. I want her to understand with men. 
Mm, so good. Okay, well, this might kind of answer this next question. So this podcast is Fatherhood Field Notes. You're already doing it. Open up your field notes sharing. But the mantra behind it is rebel and create. And so I always ask a guest, what are you rebelling against? And what do you hope to create out of that? And that could be I'm rebelling against, you know, what toxic masculinity is to create, you know, an environment so my daughter knows. Uh, what healthy masculinity is, or I'm rebelling against being on my phone on, you know, after eight o'clock so that I can connect with my daughter. So when I say to you, rebel and create, um, does anything come to mind that you're rebelling against? And what do you hope to create out of that rebellion? Um, right. So all the things I just said, I, I sucked at in my life. So what I'm rebelling against is honestly, the way I'm wired and the, the path I've followed for many years. And it's, again, I want to be real clear on this, not shaming who I've been, mm-hmm. but what I know is not what the world is like these days. What the way I was raised, the way I was um, cared for, um, I have to rebel against what, everything I know, which makes the world very confusing at times very frustrating that I get it wrong so often. And the rebellion is to find out who I truly am. So I'm rebelling against this character or this person that I only knew and just blind, you know, I, I, the way I would describe it is uh, I'm rebelling against the unconsciousness of my actions and the way I've led my life. Mm. And I'm rebelling to be more conscious of my, you know, when I speak, not try, I'm not, you know, there's everybody that's uh, in these days and age, they're, they're holding up their phones, they're recording a video, they're telling you how you should be following what they do. And they're the expert. And I, in just 15 minutes, you could X, Y, and Z. And like, <laughs> that's all BS to me, everybody. Yeah. I mean, even the most influential people in the world, um, you have to find out who you are within you. And that requires you to feel one thing I have rebelled against uh, most of my life is feeling. Um, I have to feel, I have to process emotions. I have to not just run towards uh, uh, feelings of good things. I have to walk and run towards feelings of anger or frustration. And I have to understand those and process those. And so I'm really rebelling against everything that I knew and was for most of my life. And that process has taken eight years of work. And I'm, you know, like I said earlier, I'm not even, I'm not scratching the surface on it, um, but it's every day. And then through that, I'm, I am creating um, what I missed out as a kid. I'm mm. creating the things that I've, that, that bring joy, happiness, authenticity, and better connections with other humans. And so I'm trying to create that life. Uh, for example, uh, the only two things that I ever really was exposed to as a kid was basketball and golf. Okay. Um, I don't play much basketball in the last 30 years, but I played a lot of golf and I, I still love golf, but I haven't picked up a golf club in like nine or 10 months. And if you play golf a lot, you got to play a decent amount to even have a chance to just be consistent. And the reason is, is because I have discovered hunting and, and 
being outdoors and being in nature. And I have found that my, that truly is one of the passions of my life. Didn't grow up with guns in my house. Father never owned a gun. Um, you know, I, I went hunting, but the hunting was like literally just drinking beer with friends uh, <laughs> once when I was like 19. Um, but now I am, uh, I am discovering and creating a world that I can hunt elk in the fall, deer in the winter, turkeys in the spring, and fish in the summer. And all of a sudden, I'm creating all of these things that light me up and give me um, meaning outside of being a parent and a husband. And that helps me show up as a better dad and a better husband. And this is powerful because this is what I wanted to talk about with you. You know, because my few conversations I've had with you the last year and a half, two years has kind of been around this love for hunting, this connection to nature. And as I sat and thought about, okay, I get to have Philip Stutz on my podcast. What are we going to talk about? And I think of, you know, people wanting to dig into uh, what you do for a living, dig yeah. into all the work you've done the last eight years and, and just all the wild things you've tried to, you know, dig into this interpersonal, who am I? And then also, you know, the, um, if I say this correctly, the achalasia, is that right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and you talk about those three things a lot, correct? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I haven't really talked about the achalasia, which is a esophageal disease I have. I haven't really talked about it in like two years, but I just did this big podcast where I went through the entire thing and then we're going to release it on my podcast. So I'm about to like talk about it a lot more, but yeah, I'm not afraid to talk about it. I just haven't done it. Yeah. So, so if you want to know more about that, then people can go find you and listen. I mean, Google yeah. you go look in Spotify. There's a ton of content out there. Now, if I go to your and those are all great things, right? But there's this layer of like working on yourself yeah. and you are intentional about that. But then there's this like, okay, it's a, it's a Tuesday and, and yeah, I worked on myself, but now I just want to go live. Like I just want to go to the beach or I just want to go out in nature. And there's this, this point where there's no real arrival. There's just going and living your life. And so I, I want to ask you that, like, how do you intentionally work where you know that there's no arrival yet go and pause, pause on that and just go and enjoy and smile and live your life. And then I'm going to read something that you wrote. Mm. So I, I, I want to know, how do you do that? Like to go so deep and then just put a smile on your face and then just go live. Well, I'm super curious. And it's also by a lot of mistakes. So one of the things I, I, I you know, I would feel shame and guilt if I didn't lock myself in my office for, for eight, nine, 10 hours a day. Like I felt like I was hmm. letting people down and I, I wasn't allowed to give myself anything or give myself any joy in the day. I had to work, hmm. work. I was a robot, total robot. Um, over the last two years, actually since kind of a joint front row dads, I realized that like that doesn't serve me very well. Um, there are times of the day that I love to work mornings, you know, up until about 11 or 12. And then I need to take a break and then I can come back a little later on and give it a little bit more. And then I put it all down and go, go be with my family. But in between when I'm in these breaks, it's like, well, what do you do? Do you just sit on the sofa 
uh, or do you want to go do some things that give you energy and light your day up? And so that's what, you know, obviously it's, um, I live on the water. So, you know, when the weather is nice, then, you know, I can run out and fish for an hour if I really wanted to, which is amazing. Right. Um, I, we just finished whitetail deer season in Florida. It, uh, it finished in, uh, late February. It was really late, but like I was 15 minutes from where I could hunt. And so mm. I could run out at three o'clock and sit there till dinner and, uh, uh, and just sit in the blind and enjoy being in nature. And, you know, if something walked out, that'd be awesome. If something didn't, that's okay too. And I'd be home and could have dinner. So I, you know, I just kind of pick my spots and every day is a little different, I guess. Love it. This is what I want guys to hear is you are, I mean, whether you want to say it or not, you're a high level guy. Um, you're on the pursuit of yourself and, and becoming, and then you're also enjoying your life. Maybe you could enjoy it more and yeah. have more grace for yourself and a little bit of mercy for yourself. But I want to point something out. I'm looking at a picture on your Instagram from November that you, you posted November 22nd. It's tagged so that it's the very first one you'll see. It's you and your daughter standing with your, you know, you just hunted. Okay. Yeah. Now you are on multiple podcasts. If I scroll down through this Instagram, there's all these posts of you being on podcasts, talking about marketing, talking about the work you've done, talking to great stuff. And thank you for sharing that. But at the end of the day, like you are a man and you are a husband and you are a father and, and you are pursuing this life of, of, of joy, like being yourself. And so I, I, I want to read this cause I want guys to hear. So it might be a little long and it's your own words, but here you go. You say, during the COVID lockdowns, I had an epiphany. I wanted to spend more time in nature. And even though I didn't own a gun, I felt a calling to learn how to hunt. Why hunting? I wanted to be more conscious about the food I ate and better understand the sacrifice an animal makes to wind up on my dinner plate. I wanted to eat meat that was not just processed. Okay, I'm going to keep, I'm going to skip down. And as a boy, I did make a ton of dumb mistakes. Oh, and boy, did I make a ton of mistakes that year when you started hunting. From being scammed for my first hunt to buying cheap hunting gear and nearly caused me to have frostbite on that scammy hunt. Still, I loved it and wanted to do more. I just wanted to be smarter. So I read books. I watched 100 episodes of Meat Eater, took firearms classes, worked with the best mentors, and I loved the entire process. The key to everything, the key to everything flipping for me was when I stopped asking, okay, here's item one I want to talk about with you. How can I hunt? And started asking myself, who can help me hunt? With that new mindset, I found an opportunity to go to Western Colorado, blah, blah, blah. Um, okay, so then here's the second part of it, so, and I'll end in a second. But then something wild happened. My eight-year-old daughter, Parker, wanted to learn to hunt with me, and separately she'd fallen in love with fishing and crab trapping. I didn't push it, but she showed genuine interest, and so she wanted to start target shooting, and so we did. Um, then you guys had your first hunt, which you talk about, which was a total flop. You didn't yeah. get anything. Um, and then, and then it keeps going. So this is the, I want to talk about those two things. So let's talk about you choosing to do this and failing and continuing to pursue it and asking for help. Talk to me about that. Yeah. I mean, I just decided I was going to hunt. Uh, it was actually a trip to, in the, during the pandemic, we were supposed to go to Boston for a summer vacation in Maine and everything got shut down. So we'd literally just packed my truck up and drove to Yellowstone park and, and, um, and the grand Tetons. And, and we did a tour in Yellowstone and 
all I see out there are these beautiful animals in nature. And I go, man, it'd be so fun to be out there. And then I saw some guys fly fishing on the rivers inside Yellowstone National Park. And I went, hold on, you can fish inside Yellowstone? Mm. And like, yeah, of course. And I'm like, that's the cool, like, what would that feel like? That would feel like total freedom to me. So that's really what inspired me. So I came home, read like six or seven or eight different hunting books. Like wow. you said, I said, watch the show, The Meat Eater. If you ever, uh, it's an unbelievably great hunting show. Uh, my daughter started watching it with me and she loved it. And she wasn't scared that the fact that these animals were getting killed in there. And anyway, and so I start Googling where to go hunting. And so there was this place in uh, near Gainesville, Florida. And I, you know, it's about five hours from where I live in Florida. And it's like, uh, it was like 600 bucks and you could kill uh, one uh, white-tailed buck and two hogs, and it would be 600 bucks. I'm like, whoa, that's a deal. I, that's a lot of meat and trophies. And Oh, yeah. And I, I get to the location, and the, that morning, even in Gainesville, Florida, it was 25 degrees. Wow. And I pull my truck up to the to – the, um, It's not a, it wasn't a fenced-in area. It was an open area. Um, it was this guy who owned land and he let you hunt on it, right? Basically. And so um, what I didn't realize was one, I didn't have the right clothes for 25 degree weather in Florida. Uh, I had, you know, 50 degree weather clothes in Florida, not 25. Second, um, we, it was about 10, 20 acres of land and there were like 10 or 15 of us trying to hunt this thing in a wow. stand. So. I quickly realized no one's getting anything. It's too many humans around. Too much smell. Uh, like there's just nothing was going to come through this place. And I'm like, oh my God, what an idiot. Like, cause I had been asking how, how do I go hunt? I'll Google mm-hmm. anything. I didn't have any experts helping me. Then the third thing that I left out of that post, but it's very true. And I just did a podcast interview on hunting, my first hunting podcast. Oh, but nice. Uh, and I told this story. It was very true. The, that first cold 25 degree morning, I get in this tree stand and it's like five and the sun isn't coming up until seven. Damn. And I had to sit in the pitch black dark in a tree without, without the right clothing, but sitting for two hours in pitch black dark with only my thoughts, no phone to mm. distract, podcast, no nothing was the most terrifying two hours of my life. Wow. And, and by the way, I lived through 9-11. And I'm dead serious. Like, that was much more terrifying to me than living through, li- uh, living in Washington, D.C. and being right next to the Pentagon and all that stuff when the, the tower, when, when wow. the Pentagon. So my, and I, that's, you know, obviously, it's crazy to even say something like that. But I have just distracted mm. my brain to not feel anything. Mm. And the one thing that I think I'm so passionate about hunting is when you're out there, it's just you and nature. It's just yeah. you and either the breeze or the beautiful trees or the woods or, oh, my God, you've been sitting here for three hours and a deer walks out. Like how insanely like your heart is beating faster than you've ever been. But you have to feel you have to like sit there with your own thoughts. And and I had never done that before. And so in a way, hunting really saved me. Because I had to go through that pain. I remember getting out of that tree stand. I actually did pull my phone out about 7.30. And I called the guy that ran the ranch. And I said, I'm coming out. You know, he goes, don't come out. Because, you you know, there's 
17 hunters around. He's like, I'll come get you. But he's like, you're not supposed to come out for two more hours. And I said, I can't take it. Like literally I couldn't take it. I went back to my holiday Inn hotel and I drew a bath and I just sat in a hot bath for like an hour saying, what the fuck just happened? Sorry. For yeah. Me. It's like, no, you're fine. What, what, what was that? Hmm. And what I realized is I just didn't want to face me having to feel or think about anything. And so that was my involvement into hunting and mm. in that one thing. But ultimately, the great lesson is I stopped asking, well, how can I hunt? And I started asking, who could I have as, you know, that could really help me figure this thing out? Um, I have, um, uh, uh, there's a company called Hunting Fools, and they're out, out west. And literally, they just manage every state I want to hunt in. You, you know, they'll they'll know when the per, when the uh, lotteries happen, the draws happen, when you get uh, licenses and all that stuff. They, they just, they, every state's different, so they just like my concierge, right? So I hired these guys, and then I read in one of the books about um, this one guy that hunts. Uh, it was one of the great elk hunt elk guides in the world, and I looked him up, and I found him and. Literally 12 months later from that hunt, uh, that guy was my elk hunting guide in wow. Western. Helped me shoot my first uh, elk that I shot from 280 yards. So, like, wow, I just found who's. And it doesn't mean I succeeded in all the who's. I, I you know, I, I had a buddy of mine who's a gun expert. Like, he literally owns like 600 guns, but he's not like some nut. He, ju- he he shoots in sniper competitions. He knows ballistics. He knows bullets. He knows every type of gun. And I got under his wing and I just said, hey, man, come, help me do this. And, you know, I do a lot of great things for him. But like, uh, you know, he, he's got a small business. I advise him for free on his business, right? And the trade-off is I have great guns. I know I have great scopes. I I have accuracy. I know how to shoot properly, all these things. I just went out and found the who's that could help me grow into what I wanted to do. Man, man, guys, you have to hear this. It's like one, you decided you saw something you wanted. I'm going to go do this. And then when the first thing went wrong to maybe you feel like, oh, I should be a man. I should know how to do this. You didn't let it shut you down. Like I didn't bring the right clothes, right? You're talking about it. So it's like those things are going to happen. If I don't know how to do something, how am I going to know unless somebody shows me? And I think it's so critical. If you want to have a great marriage, if you want to have good finances, if you want to have be a great dad, if you want to know how to work out or train or hunt or whatever, go find somebody who's done it before you. And people want to teach, you know, like people want to share their knowledge. You just have to ask. And I think that that's so critical. Um, Man, as I'm looking at this picture, okay, so I just want to go back to this. So I got you and your daughter. Your smile is genuine, like Uh-oh. genuine joy, full of joy. And then I'm looking at this. She's, I'm guessing she's nine at this point. Yeah. Is that she shot her first deer? Shot her first deer at nine years old. Yeah. And, and dude, her smile, she's with her dad in the woods, in nature, with a smile of pure joy. Oh, it was awesome. Well, the, this daddy daughter trip we just got back from, we went turkey hunting and hog hunting. <laughs> and she shot her first turkey and she made a better shot than me on my turkey than I did on my turkey. And she killed her first hundred pound hog. And last night, well, yesterday, Ned, I spent all day smoking 
the pork shoulder from that hog. Yes. And for dinner last night, we had that and the pork tenderloin from the hog that she shot. And that was also, you should have seen the smile on her face. Mm. He provided dinner for our family. It was amazing. I'm looking at these. What's that? Yeah, and she's 10 now. So she's killed a... A turkey, a hog, and a and a deer, uh, all in about about five months. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at this picture of the two of you kneeling down by the hog. You got your front row dad's shirt on, yeah. pure joy in your face, right? Yeah. So, and and here's why I bring this up is like we could talk about marketing, we could talk about politics, we could talk about uh, hunting, we could talk about all these things, um, especially the work you do on yourself. And and I think for men, they have to understand that there's a point where you also have to live your life. Like, don't stop working on yourself, but, but, but enjoy living your life. And when I see you here, you are enjoying your life. Like you're choosing to be in that day, in that moment. And so you've got this smile and your daughter who you brought into this world with your wife and you are giving her life by all that you're teaching her is smiling with you. And and I love this photo, bro, of the two of you guys' legs. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you gotta imagine this image. So as you're scrolling through the Instagram photos from this this weekend, they have all their camo on, and then they're both wearing these like matching kitty cat socks. Yes. Which I want to bring up because it's both, right? You are a girl dad who's teaching your daughter to hunt, but you are also wearing, you know, these kittens have have glasses on. And and I want dudes to know, like it's both. Yeah, it's both. It is. It is. And 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 uh, I, I do want to say one thing. Like, I we hunting's like the last thing I introduced her. I, we introduced her to uh, tennis and running and theater and you know all these things, right? And we let her choose what she wants. And then one day I was like, hey. I got this little BB gun. You want to go shoot some targets? Oh, sure. And then she just starts hitting, she starts hitting the bullseye from a BB gun on target from about 30, 30 feet, 40 feet at like six or seven years old. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe there's a pellet gun we could get you. So we got our pellet gun. We'll get a scope on it. And she starts nailing that. And I'm like, huh. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, do you like this? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, do you want to hunt? She's like, I don't know. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. It's not really an answer. Like, you know, you're eight. I don't want you killing something you don't know. Like you got to feel it. And then finally she came to me and she goes, I want to go hunt. And I'm like, are you sure? Cause you're going to kill, you're going to take a life and you need to understand that's serious. And that, that has, you know, that that's going to impact you. And she's like, I want to do it. When she killed that deer net, she shot it from 95 yards and she, she shot one shot and the buck ran about 30 yards and then died. And the second that shot went on, I have a video, obviously I'll never post this anywhere on social media. She burst into tears. Like I have never seen, I mean, hysterically crying. And the first thing that goes through my mind is, Oh shit. I I just made my daughter kill Bambi. Like what (laughs) the worst day. Right. But then when I stopped and she was embracing me and hugging me, I realized that, She's nine. There are a lot of emotions going through that. I'm not mm-hmm. going to her emotions down like it was done to me. I'm going to embrace it and figure out how she feels. What she felt was pressure to make the shot. Like first time she ever killed an animal, yeah. killing an animal that was emotional for her. But then after about 25 seconds, 
she starts going, getting so happy and getting a big smile on her face. She just needed to process the emotions. And for me, I almost was like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. Like, that's what I wanted to do. Right. But I didn't do it. And then she looks at me, tears, you know, all in her eyes. And she goes, can we go find the deer now? Like she was so happy and excited. And she was so proud. That deer is mounted over her bed. And I go, I said the other day, I said, how do your friends, your girlfriends think about this? She goes, they think I'm weird. And I go, oh, <laughs> how do you feel about it? She goes, I don't care. And I go, mm. what a beautiful thing. Like, yeah, that's beautiful. She knows who she is. That statement. Okay. So two things. She knows who she is. Why does she know who she is? Because she's seen and heard. She's seen and heard based on you, and I'm sure your wife, but creating space for her. Agree? Yeah. It, it, listen. Uh, yes, you said the right word. It, 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 if it wasn't for my wife, I wouldn't have the ability to even think like that. So the, the fact that I have a, a wife who intuitively understands this and then I've learned so much from is why she is who our daughter is who she is because she has that space to get to know herself and Mm -hmm. she's seen and heard in our household for sure. Mm. Not that there's not rules. Yeah. (laughs) No, of course. Seen and heard. Yeah, of course. Okay. So seen and heard create space and agree with you. Like my wife is amazing and behind every great dad is a, a even better mom. We, we know this to be true. So in that moment, when she started to cry, did you say anything? You said you held her. No, she said nothing. She just bawled hysterically. No, did you say anything? Uh, no, I let her you have had these thoughts. You had these oh, thoughts. No, trust me, I wanted to. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wanted to shut her down. Like, no, 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 you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You know? Oh, you're fine. Damn it. Why do we say that shit? Let your kid just experience it. Man, I fail. Right. You know, we fail at this. But Philip, I, I just want, dude, you're a really good dad. And that doesn't mean that I don't know that you and I both make mistakes. But I want to play this out. And it's so awesome that you share this is you as a dad exposed your daughter to a lot of things, tennis, golf, dance, all these things. You let her also though, see what you were doing. Okay. So a lot of us dads can say like, this is my thing. I need my thing, but you let her see it. And then you invited her to be a part of it. Not this is what the Stutz family do. We put our own meat on the table, right? I can't really see you uh, having that aggro uh, masculine voice in the house to be like that. But you invited her. So one, you let her see you and know you. Two, you invited her to be along. And then you also realize like she's seven, eight, nine. You, you, you didn't rush it. You like took her through a process to be a part of it. Like, dude, that's, that's beautiful, man. Guns for a year and a half before she won her first hunt. And so, and it escalated BBs to pellets to 22s to rifles to shotguns. Like so beautiful. And each way, if she had ever said along the way, eh, not for me, it was over. Like, I don't take these things personally. It's her life. Like I'm going to do them. It's such a bonus that she wants to join yeah. me. Like yeah. that's 
there. But I also think she doesn't think I'm imposing it, which is giving her the space to actually enjoy it. Yes. Ah, beautifully said. Well, I know we're coming to the top of the hour and you're going to go watch your daughter in a play. And so let's wrap this up with this last question. And the last question is a legacy question. So imagine, let's say 40 years from now. Okay, 40 years from now. You may or may not be here. If you are, you're coming to 90. Your daughter is coming to 50, this age that you are finding yourself nearing. If you were to peer into your daughter's life, into her home, what is the legacy that you would see and you would know that all the hard-ass work that you've done has been imparted in her? What would you see in her life based on the man that you are becoming? It's a good question. Uh, I don't... I. I don't know if I have an immediate answer. You know, I hope that there is, there's a rooting of love in that household in whatever way it looks and shows up as long as it's authentic. Mm. Um, I don't know much else because I don't want her to be, a, if she doesn't want to be a mom or she wants to be a mom of four or five kids, I'm good. If she, you know, um, is divorced in that time. I, I don't care. Like I love her. Right. So I, I just want there to be an, uh, an authentic environment of love for her and her, her children. Um, and I, and I would say we did a pretty good job. Hmm. I love it because as I hear your stories and I hear you share, and, and especially the way that you're raising her is when I hear you say authentic, I really hear you say that she knows herself, right? And and that is the space that you're creating based on the stories you've shared today is that you're creating space for her to be known because you and your wife choose to know her, see her, affirm her, confirm, you know, confirm her identity, but not force it upon her, right? You're creating this space for her to discover herself at eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, which is, these are like the formative years of, of, of being a kid. And I know in a lot of ways you, you kind of had shared that that's not what you got. And now you are changing your family line by giving that to her. So, Philip, thank you so much, bro, for taking an hour of your precious time to talk fatherhood, to share these amazing stories, to share the insights, the wins, the losses um, with with uh, you, your wife, and your daughter. Um, just much blessing to you and your family, dude, and keep inspiring the world by continuing to become a great man. Well, I appreciate that, Ned. I will say that um, I will always cherish going to a vegan restaurant in San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> yes. And, and that was I, a big meal. I just said, let's do something really weird. And this is what I love about you and Matt Drinkon and a couple other FRD. Like we all went and we had so much fun and we embraced the weirdness and, uh, it gives when when you have people that do that and you know don't go oh it was wrong I here I am talking about hunting and I took everybody to a vegan restaurant right <laughs> and, and the point I'm saying is like um, uh, there have been plenty of times I've been in a in a in a black in a dark spot and um, you've been an incredibly generous and kind shoulder to kind of lean on listen to and i'm very grateful that you're in my life and i think about you even though you're halfway around the world i think about you a lot and i'm uh, i'm really really appreciative and I'm, I'm really excited for your book too and congratulations on that 
Mm. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate you. Appreciate your time and look forward to hopefully seeing you in the near future. All right, my man. All right. Peace. My friends, what another powerful conversation. When Philip broke down the steps that it took to create space for his daughter to hunt with him, it was amazing, especially when you think about somebody who has the ability to make things happen, to allow his daughter to decide, discover, and choose if this was something that was for her. Love the work this guy does on himself so that he can best show up for those around him. My friends, you are already making massive change to your legacy and family by investing in yourself as a father. As you know, many men stumble into their role as fathers. I mean, even hearing Philip talk about stumbling into his role. Our society is in desperate need of fathers who know who they are and are engaged in their homes. I created the Adventure of Fatherhood children's book and gift box as an opportunity for you to be a part of another man's adventure. Please help me spread the word. Go to Amazon and buy a book and make a nice gift for a dad in your life who is having a kid or recently had a kid and hand him this book and say, bro, you have what it takes. I'm so proud to be your friend. Or you can go to adventureoffatherhood.com and order a gift box, write a note that can go inside that box, welcoming a dad into fatherhood. If you don't do it, nobody else will. No one is inviting men into their role as fathers. You and I must be the ones to do it. All right, my friends, thank you. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebellion Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. Thank you.